one of the questions that I have repeatedly asked asked our people um, through the craziness of the last year, as you're saying, is this. Um, would you prefer to sit next to someone that shares your faith beliefs but disagrees with your politics? Or would you rather sit next to someone that shares your politics but disagrees with your faith beliefs? I believe that many of us, it, it reveals an inherent allegiance. That's the question that is constantly, I mean, Jesus said, like, there's a guy, he's like, hey, my dad just died. I want to go bury him. And he's like, no, let the bear, dead bear that like, you have to make a choice. You can't have both. There's not space for more than one person on the throne. And yes, we all have priorities, but there's only one person on the throne. And you have to make a choice of who, who your king is, what kingdom are you a part of, because you can't. You can't have it both ways. You're listening to the Blue Collar Money Podcast, theories of middle-class investing. I am your host, P.W. Gopal, performance coach and entrepreneur. And along with the Blue Collar Money team, we want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. Our goal is to help you get your hands dirty, get you unstuck, and help you live out your best financial story. Hey folks, welcome back to Blue Collar Money, episode 95. This one is called A Hijacked Gospel Will Hijack Your Stewardship. This is part two of our time with Pastor Alex Wickle uh, from the Branch Church in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, we've gotten some incredible feedback from the first episode, so I thank you guys for tuning in, for, for, for listening, and then giving us some feedback um, feel free to reach out to Alex uh, personally if you uh, would like to encourage him about that last episode. This episode is going to be, uh, in, at least in my estimation, even better. I just had a lot of fun listening to it again. Um, and uh, just, man, I'm just so appreciative that Alex took the time uh, to be with us. He's an incredible communicator, uh, a trusted friend, and and, uh, and I love what his church uh, is doing. If you are new to the podcast, I just want to say welcome. I want to say thank you for listening. Um, and for for folks who have been listening for a little bit, if you've not taken the chance to the time to to give us a five star review, if you've gotten something out of this podcast, it would it would greatly help us um, to kind of get pushed up in the rankings and get this podcast out uh, to more people. If you've really gotten something out of this uh, podcast, um, I, will, I have a an email. Uh, in the show notes where you can give us a tip um, uh, if you've gotten some value out of the podcast. So we will put it to good use. And this is a podcast that we do for free. We want to put that out there. We want to keep doing the work. Um, but any any bit that you can give back would be greatly appreciated. And keep firing questions at us. I, I kind of geek out on this stuff, so I love to know. I, I love to have a point instead of me trying to figure out you know, kind of what to teach or who, who to bring in. It's great to get feedback from listeners and, and figure out where you guys are at. What is your financial story? Um, you know, where are the gaps and how can we help fill those gaps with practical uh, knowledge from folks that have uh, maybe are a few steps ahead of us? Um, I, a friend of mine, um, I mentioned this on the last episode, but we were talking about the Fibonacci sequence. And I want to address that a little bit. Fibonacci is weird. I, I traded futures for, for about nine years. Um, had a blast doing it. Uh, but, you know, after 
after spending time with my my former co-host Mike Hatch and just um, you know spending more time in Scripture, understanding you know kind of what the really going back and looking at the 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 process of money, the origins of money, um, and how that how that is spoken about in in Scripture. I started to to realize that uh, the trading number one I wasn't set up for trading. Um, I feel like I have an aptitude for it. I understood the charts. Uh, I just could never get over my fear. I could never get over my reaction to manipulations in the market. Everything made sense mathematically, and I traded well on those days. But then when something would happen out of the ordinary, I would freak out, and I couldn't get that feeling. And it really was a feeling. I couldn't get that feeling uh, out of out of my chest. I mean, I... Every turn, I, every time I turned on my laptop to trade, I would get nauseous, and um, and that was rough. I traded my own money, then I traded for an investor, and I could never get rid of that. Um, the Fibonacci sequence is something I learned early on. I learned it from some other traders. I spent, I mean, you can type that into YouTube, and you can you can spend several years. Uh, looking at people trade um, it is a it's a retracement sequence so it's not it doesn't necessarily predict where you're going to go if you know as far as like how the market is going to move forward it um, it measures uh, human nature in a sense um, and gives you an idea of where the market where the the um, pressure points are going to be where the where the market will drop and bounce off of whether you're going um, if you have a, a bearish market or, or a bullish market. Now, we've, we've been in a bullish market for a long time. The market's going, been going up and up and up. And according to the Fibonacci sequence, um, and, and this is an extrapolation of the Fibonacci sequence, the Fibonacci does not really explain um, how markets move once you get past 100%. What modern traders have figured out is that if you go from 0 to 100 back to 618 back to 100 then the market will move to 138% um, of the original uh, movement if that makes sense so in our practical terms if we go from you know black tuesday 29 you know which would just say the market was zero um, a couple of years ago we went to 295 29,500 on the Dow. Uh, we then retraced back to 61.8% of that 29,500, which I'm, I don't have my calculator, so I'm not going to do the math. We then went back to 29.5. And now, if we were to, re to honor that 138%, the market should go to 40,500 or 40,000 and change. And that is a a pretty solid predictor in the sense that most traders ha already have that in their head. And so they're, they're thinking like, okay, how much damage can I do? Uh, how many people can I drive into this market? You know, to, because, and, and what, what they'll do is they'll pull their, they'll pull their own money out. And once that market gets up to 37, 38, 39, they've already, they've already taken money out. They're driving other people into the market. And the goal would be to then put in, to short the market, to sell, 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 sell. And everybody who'd gone long will lose their shirt, which is most of the American middle class. And the market will go usually back to, um, you know, the, it, well, after 138%, all bets are off. 
and that's kind of um, when I was trading. I, you know, I saw this a lot on larger time frames. The market would go back um, to the twenty three percent, twenty three point one or two percent. Then you know, then you have to make other decisions. Does it then go back to, um, or excuse me, one hundred twenty three point one or two percent? Does it then go back to one hundred percent? Again, it's really hard to talk about and understand you know when somebody's just saying it to you if, you, if i showed it to you in a on a dry erase or even on one of my charts it would it would make more sense but all that to say is that the market uh, today and again this i'm i'm doing my introduction on saturday so you know weekends have odd movements but right now the dow is sitting at 34 754 so it has recovered a great deal of its losses just over the last uh couple weeks and i'm looking yeah, just in the last few weeks. It's already recovered and surpassed the losses that it's seen in two weeks. Uh, we are back up to what we were in late February. And now it's got to overcome. It's got to overcome a lot of noise, you know, where the high was 36.9. So roughly 37,000. And it will take some time, you know, to pu- to push through that if it really wants to. The problem is that we're not dealing with just math and we're not even dealing with just people's opinions of the math. And I want to introduce you to a book. It's a book that's meant a lot to me. Um, It's not because I'm sentimental over it, but it's just taught me a lot. Um, And it's a, it just said it's a label. It says a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. The book is called How Markets Fail, The Logic of Economic Calamities. And boy, is it a thrilling read. You just, you just, when you pick it up, you just, you actually, you just really want to put it down because it's a little depressing. It's a little heady. Um, but I, there's a chapter in here that I want to, I want to outline a couple things. Uh, I was introduced to John Maynard Keynes by my financial coach. Um, you can look him up on Wikipedia, but he, he's an economist that lived a long time ago. Um, and has had a major impact on um, on how money on how money is moved on on modern economic theory. And Keynes is highlighted in this book in this chapter called Keynes Beauty Contest. And it discovered it it it, it um, unpacks um, again. I'm not an economist, so you know I'm still learning. But it unpacks some. Uh, some theories that uh, economists are very familiar with, um, but at least for a, a blue-collar investor like me, uh, it, it was good to hear it from the horse's mouth. You know, so these are quotes that Cassidy is kind of bringing forward for us from Keynes and from people that have written about Keynes. Um, and so this one is actually from Cassidy, quote from him, and this is on page 167. That evening, and he's talking about Black Monday from 1987, uh, um, a pretty interesting correction in the market. He says, that evening taught me a couple of lessons about Wall Street that I haven't forgotten. Uh, things aren't always what they seem, and the interests of financial insiders are often differ from those of regular investors. Um, and he goes on and on and on, and 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 that has been repeated over and over. And I want our audience to understand that you are not an insider; you don't have access uh, unless you have a level two platform, unless you, you know, are, are sitting in chat rooms with other traders. And you know, I used to spend seven hundred fifty dollars a month 
to sit in a chat room with a professional trader and the other, you know, 300 people that had done the same um, to watch this trader trade and then hear all the chatter um, from the trading floor that would be piped in um, and all the inside information. And then I would look at the news and realize that uh, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and, and one of the things about this chapter that's incredible, and he, he talks about this um, later on page 168, said the crash apparently had nothing to do with any news story other than the crash itself, but rather uh, with theories about other investors' reasons for selling and about their psychology. Uh, page 169, if we speak frankly, we have to admit that our basis of knowledge for estimating the yield 10 years hence of a railway, a copper mine, a textile factory, the goodwill of, a, of a, a patent medicine, an Atlantic liner, a building in the city of London amounts to little and sometimes to nothing. And this is Cassidy talking. Keynes was not talking about periods of turmoil and crisis when it might be expected that accurate information would be hard to come by. In his view, a state of near ignorance was the normal course of affairs. So I believe that we are in a time of crisis right now. We have inflation coming. There's a, there's a whole lot of things. I wrote a list and I'm at 15 things that are building instability in the market. There's significant cogs that are now turning and coming around and all hitting kind of at the same time. That quote was about a time of normalcy. And he is saying there's, there's not um, enough accurate information uh, for us to come by um, not enough accurate information for us to uh, build a basis of knowledge for estimation. So it's it, what I want us to know is that when you look at Fibonacci, it's, it, traders trade off of it, um, but it is a physical representation of collective thinking. And that's collective thinking by um, traders. It's not about the general public that can use Fibonacci. Um, so you are getting, you know, the people that are closest to the money have more influence over the direction of that money than the outsiders like us. And so you got to keep that in mind. If this market is going to top out, and when I say top out, it doesn't mean that's the end of where it's going to go. It could go to 70. We have no idea. But you have to ask yourself about corrections. And historically if you get to 138 percent there has to be a retracement and you have to test the 100 again you have to test 29.5 i'm not saying that's going to happen i'm just saying mathematically that's what traders count on now add in the fact that we are in a season of crisis go and read the fourth turning um, add in the fact that um, we've been printing money like it's going out of style and how can we do that well because of the federal reserve act and because you know, nobody can identify who the central banks are. Uh, what you know, uh, number three on my list: the labor wage gap in 1973 was 10x. So the the CEOs made 10x of their laborers. Now that la that wage gap is 300x. Uh, we have the Ukraine Russian conflict slash war. Uh, we've, we're you know in the middle of inf uh, you know the beginnings of inflation. We have a red blue conflict in our country. Um, that is not allowing anyone to do any work. It's just allowing us to fight. Um, we have a derivatives market that is just barreling out of control. We have a democratic government, again, that is going to expand the government. 
you know, so all, all the stimulus packages that are being built, you'll see that they will, you know, make a proposal and they'll call, they'll call it a, you know, st- a, whatever it is, a stimulus package one, stimulus package two for the people. You know, we, we had six, six, uh, what is it, six trillion dollars? Six trillion dollars is one of the packages. But if you do the math, it was only one point, one point something trillion that actually went to the stimulus. So where did all the other money go? You know, I have 15 of these things on a list and I'm trying to explain, I'm building a class right now. I'm trying to explain the, the, the things that make an, an unstable market, that build instability into the market. And I'm at 15 and I'm probably gonna get a few more and then just quit. On the other side of that equation are, it's a, sm- a much smaller list, but it's a more secure list um, of what builds stability um, in the market. What builds what builds stability that a believer, a follower of Jesus can count on? And the number one thing um, is God. God makes his plan stable. And so we need to be reaching out to him. We need to be sitting with him. We need to go into that closet and spend time with the God of the universe. And he will cause us to do certain things. He will cause us to audit our lives. Um, you've heard myself, you know, I learned this from my, my um, um, financial advisor, Bobby, but he will ask you to audit your lifestyle creep, your propensity to save and waste. Um, and and I, I mean, he very well might even, you know, dig into how and uh, how you disciple or even if you are discipling. Um, if you are living according, you know, to the Great Commission, right? To speak and move and heal and disciple. If you're, if you have a goal of shalom, right? Nothing missing, nothing broken. And that's where um, Alex Wickle comes in because I want, if you, I want Alex to speak into this. If we as a church, as, as sane, rational followers of Jesus, in this um, century, if we want to recover what has been lost, and, and lost not by you know people that don't know Jesus, not wasted by them, but by ourselves, by our church, by our churches um, living in disobedience, we have to get this right. We have to understand the implications of the gospel. The definition has to be right. The implications have to be sound. And then we got to sign up for them, and um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, Alex just crushes it in this podcast, and I, and I real, I would love for you to share this, share this with as many people as you can. The first podcast, the second podcast, episodes ninety four and ninety five. Share, 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 because if we get this wrong, all the other money things that you could possibly learn on this podcast or any other things, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so, uh, again, the book that I was referring to is called How Markets Fail. It's by John Cassidy. Um, it, it is really, it's a solid book. It's very dry, but it gives you an idea, um, gosh, that we are, we are just, we're coming into some harder times. Uh, I want to finish my intro by reading, it's a quote from Keynes. He wrote a enormous book called The General Theory. Um, And he says, we are merely reminding ourselves that human decisions 
we are re- merely reminding ourselves that human decisions affecting the future, whether personal or political or economic, cannot depend on strict mathematical expectation, since the basis for making such calculations does not exist. And that is our innate urge to activity, which makes the wheels go round, our rational selves choosing between the alternatives as best we are able, calculating where we can, but often falling back for our motive on whim or sentiment or chance, end quote. And so just so you know, when the, when the market is in this no man's land and we are in it right now, we are in between our, you know, 100% and the 138%, which is total no man's land. Uh, the market doesn't know what to do. And so the traders don't know what to do. And so they're looking at each other to figure out what to do. And that doesn't even speak of the weight of a war. It doesn't speak of the weight of a digital war, which has not technically been launched that Putin has been, you know, hinting at. It doesn't, it doesn't even come close uh, to explaining what would happen if North Korea and China gets involved. Um, we are in no man's land. So the purpose of this podcast, the purpose of, of your blue collar investing becomes heightened. Like, you got to figure out a way to in, to work on your cash flow events, right? Work on your cash flow uh, um, vehicles, uh, to invest in real estate, um, to invest in small business. That's the only way we're going to survive this. Uh, to, you know, to work on your generosity, um, planned giving. You know, the the structure of these vehicles um, is not just going to happen, and especially not going to happen in a season of chaos. And we don't know if chaos is coming, um, but either way, it's a part of your stewardship. So don't let a, a watered-down view of the gospel screw up your stewardship. we got to get this stuff right. So uh, I think Alex does an amazing job of this. Um, thank you again for listening. I appreciate you guys. We are home, and Caroline is doing, doing well. We appreciate your prayers. Uh, I'm very excited for the next few episodes that are going to be coming out. Um, go out there, get your knees on the ground, put your blood, sweat, and tears in the soil. Do the work that God has for you. Um, I so appreciate the work that you are doing, and it just inspires and teaches me. I love you guys. Go get them. For a little backstory, you know, the story of the church, the story, God's story is the, is the meta narrative. We talk about macro narratives here. Um, you know, the kind of the jet stream stories that you can't necessarily change because there's, because everyone's in them. Yep. Right. Global economics, U.S. finance, uh, media technology, civil rights, and, and politics. All those, those narratives are too convoluted, too thick with um, movement, intention, weight, corruption for us to change them. We just have to recognize them. So mm. as God's story interacts with that story, there is a, a movement that's happened over the last 15 years called, and it's been going on forever. It's, it's been going on forever. Somebody nicknamed it, you know, within the last couple of decades of dominionism. Mm. And it's probably, and, and that book that you're, you were pointing out, um, is part of a movement that has called people of means and people of power to keep their places of power and means 
um, and to use that as a place to, um, is this is the right word, to, to disseminate Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To drip feed Christianity. Yep. So if we can't, if we can't get you by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to own your workplace and be your boss, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to be, we're going to own your houses and be your landlord. Like it all kind of sounds good, but if you know me, and again, this is just my opinion, um, trickle down economics is complete, is an asinine theory mm -hmm. because it, it, it doesn't work with the nature of man, right? The, the broken nature of man being when you, when you bring sin into that drip feed, we steal from the resource every one of us. Mm. And, you know, so instead of, instead of, you know, um, Christ could have done the same thing. This is why it's so, it, it blows my mind that yes. this is being taught at such a high level. Christ could have come in on the chariot and wrecked everything and said, I'm here, you know, and, and we could have gotten to work a lot earlier, right? We could have reigned with him and well, that's not what he chose to do. Instead he came right in a manger took a position of, of nothing. Yep. Philippians. I mean, made himself nothing. And that is so wildly unpopular. Now we are a podcast that sits in the money world. And if this is true and, and dominionism is your goal, shut this off and move on because this mm -hmm. is not, we're not going to feed that narrative. Mm -hmm. God has called us to steward resources, to put us in places to build those igloos right mm -hmm. in the middle of the storm to welcome people in into that uh yes personal salvation that reconciliation to god but yes reconciliation to our fellow man um to ourselves right and then to creation so it it doesn't it does not mean um doesn't mean i have to pick black people or cops Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that I have to pick the environment, you know, or religion. It doesn't yeah. like science or religion. Like it doesn't yeah. put any of those things at odds. And, and when I see the war on the left and the right, and let's just, just make it easy. Just say it's left and right. There's a whole lot of other stuff, but let's just say it's left and right. When I see how that manifests on one side and the other across our entire life, it just reminds me that it's all wrong. Yes. This side okay. is wrong. That side is wrong. It's all part of us trying to take roles of power to disseminate whatever our agenda is. And yep. you could just, you could look at that. That is a top down approach. The left does it. The right does it both corrupt. Yes. I've, okay. I've gotten emails. I've gotten emails from people saying, no, only the left is corrupt. The right is righteous. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to call BS on that. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to jump in. I had the same thought with several things that you said, and that is, you know, it's one thing for the world to be driven by this antagonism, you know, playing on people's fears, us against them. The thing that, and I got to be honest, because we're, you know, we've been through this pandemic and so many things came through that with race conversations, politics, all of this in the last, you know, two plus years. Um, the thing that has disappointed me is not that the world acts like the world and plays right. on people's fears and has these antagonisms. I expect the world to be like that. What has disappointed me is how hijacked the church and Christians have often become and play into those exact same dynamics. Okay. So you're talking about salvation and not leaving these as theoretical, you know, realities, but what does it mean for our lives? You know what the most offensive thing about the early church was two things, 
Number one, they took care of the poor better than the Roman Empire. We have writings from other leaders that uh, Roman leaders that are like they're making us look bad because they're taking care not just of their own poor, but even our poor. our poor. Yeah, literally, like I could send you the the guy like he wrote it. That's number one. The second thing was that they had Jews and Gentiles together. The empire hated it. The Jews hated it. The, 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 the pagans hated it. All of the people said in this world, we separate people by these different, these different cultural and religious boundaries. And the church said, we're having none of it. And this is why in Galatians, Paul confronts Peter because he was one way with the Gentiles and one way with the Jews. And he's like, you are acting anti-gospel right now. And here at this table of fellowship, there is no boundary. There is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. That is the practical implication of the gospel in our world. And so that's what's been so disappointing to me is that we have subscribed to the same categories and antagonisms that exist in our world. Whereas yeah. we should be saying, no, those categories, like you can do that out there. Yeah. That, that won't fly in here. Yeah. And, and the, the, the crazy thing is like the biomechanics. When I, when I think of this mechanically, that tells me that the church has a very limited and maybe intentionally. So a very limited time in our week, to be with the Holy Spirit, to be in a room alone with God. Because if we were truly doing that, I don't think that that would be the lane that we choose, or at least that's how we would enter the lane that God has chosen for us. Like, I don't think that we would spend our day fighting for our political party, yep. right? Raising certain flags. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't do the work. It's not, it just means that like, that's not the flag that we're flying. That's it. Like, put those to bed. Um, half, I wouldn't, well, half, that's an exaggeration. I think there was about 20% of our church that left because our pastor um, took the American flag out of the sanctuary. And then he changed the name of the sanctuary to the auditorium. Be well, number one, because, you know, he's like, you are not, that's not the sanctuary you are. Mm -hmm. And the American flag, we don't worship the American flag. And again, say what you want about that. When you start making decisions um, to put the kingdom first, it's going to have practical implications. It doesn't mean that the folks in our church don't love America. Yeah. Right. It, it, it doesn't right. mean, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we hate church history or even that we are trying to, you know, pour shade on the people who started the church 50 years ago and how they did things. It just means that we are trying to, to bring people, into that quiet space with God, to have God interact with his own Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's really good at killing our flesh off. That's its job. All yeah. of the disciplines that we've taken on have been bent and tainted and fed into some outward, like, dogma. Yeah. Right? So so, so people are trying to change, in particular me. I'm just going to only speak for me. They're trying to change my actions and say, if you are, if you're a Christian, if you, if you're going to be a part of our church, here's the, here's the set of actions that you should go by. Like, this is the outcomes. Mm. And I'm like, but that's not what God told me in the closet. It's not what he spoke to me. I'm like, where are you getting this? Well, I, well, that's what was told to us. That's how it's always been. That's how it's been for the last 50 years of our church. And I'm like, attack your assumptions Yep, and go back. And, and I've spent 
I spent, you know, a better part of the last decade studying money. I spent the last 25, 30 some years as a believer. I can't say I've studied that whole time. Yeah. But I've studied in the last five years because of some pretty bad gaslighting what the gospel is. Yep. And if we don't get this part right, it it almost doesn't matter what we do with our money because at that point, we're trying to take positions of power. We're trying to manipulate people. We're trying to drip feed them the gospel. And the way to feed people with the gospel is to get the get them around the Holy Spirit, get them yep. in a place where two or more are gathered and let the Spirit manifest among the church and let them see something that'll freak them out. Yep. Right. People being healed, people being prayed for, people being released. I listened to my pastor from Ohio uh, just this morning, and he's like, Jesus didn't come to just to heal your soul. He came right. to take care of the rest of you, too. Wow. Right. Right. I don't understand how we can dig all the way down the rabbit hole and get to a place where, by our very definition, God just wants to treat our, our, our the death of our soul. Right. You know, and it doesn't make any sense, you know, especially when when you can tell me as a pastor, as somebody who studied theology for I don't know how long at this point, that God wants to restore us to himself and he wants to restore us to our fellow man, um, to to ourselves um, and then to creation that blows all of the current uh, paradigms out. Yeah, it means I don't get to be a liberal or a conservative or a this or that. Now, unfortunately, like for me, that means I have to die to myself every day, right? Yep. I became a libertarian because I don't trust people because <laughs> right. I want I want the government and I want the state and the church to be separate because I just don't trust people. Yeah. Um, but I have to let those thoughts of being of such independence go because God calls me in right into that storm, into that cold place to, to say, Hey, look, I got a warm fire. I got good people. I'm going to introduce you to the God of the universe. Come with me. Yeah. You know, and I know I'm preaching the choir. That's a long diatribe, but you're one of those people who I feel like, man, is you have it right you're doing it. Your people are seeing God move. You're one of the only pastors I know of that is giving minorities in your church and cops in your church, because you got a lot of them, mm-hmm. of both. Yep. Each a voice. Yeah. To say, hey, this is what life is like for me. This is what life is like for me. God wants us reconciled. Yes. You know? And yep. man, I just rail against. I rail against all of of how the last, you know, six, seven, eight years of the church has manifested. Yeah. You know, and when we've been challenged, it's 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 just come out in bizarre ways. Yes, that's right. Well, okay. So one of the questions that I have repeatedly asked asked our people um, through the craziness of the last year, as you're saying, is this: um, Would you prefer to sit next to someone that shares your faith beliefs but disagrees with your politics or would you rather sit next to someone that shares your politics but disagrees with your faith beliefs 
I believe that many of us, it, it reveals an inherent allegiance. That's the question that is constantly, I mean, Jesus said, like, there's a guy, he's like, hey, my dad just died. I want to go bury him. And he's like, no, let the bear, dead bury that. Like, you have to make a choice. You can't have both. There's not space for more than one person on the throne. And yes, we all have priorities, but there's only one person on the throne. And you have to make a choice of who, who your king is, what kingdom are you a part of, because you can't, you can't have it both ways. Um, and so I do. I think that that there has always been an assumption of, okay, well, if the king is on throne on the throne, then this is these are my political views, and this is how I spend my money, and all of these things, and this is what we look like, and this is how we worship. There was always this assumption of all of these things are in alignment. And I think your phrase is spot on, attack your assumptions. Actually, maybe those things aren't always aligned in the way that we always thought they were. Yeah. Um, and, but can you maintain the, the, the ultimate allegiance, even when you question some of these other, other things that kind of overflow or come from um, that allegiance? I think like, here's, here's what I would say. Um, so in, uh, uh, in the fourth century, um, Constantine made Christianity the uh, religion of the Roman Empire, which is a wild thing, considering that just a few short hundred years before they were trying to stamp out the early Christians. Um, but the interesting thing about Constantine is he was baptized on his deathbed. Okay. And the reason for that is he's like, I'm as king, I'm going to have to do a lot of really shady things. And so I'm just going to do all of those things before. And then right at the end, I'm going to get baptized and then I'm going to like get forgiven for this. Okay. Now that's obviously a, a, a terrible picture. No one would agree with doing that. I actually think a lot of people live that same way. Yeah. Where they're like, I'm going to do whatever I want in this life. Mm. And then I just make sure that I, I take care of where I'm going at the end and, and, and it's convenient and it's easy and it's opposed to the gospel. Mm. And I think that um, that's the question is like, it, it's one thing, like James says this, right? Faith without works is dead. Like, what good is it if, if someone says, I'm hungry and you say, go in peace, I'll pray for you. Right. It's like, no, no one's saying you shouldn't say go in peace. No one's saying you shouldn't pray for them. You also should feed them, Right. Yeah. And so like for us, practically, that was like we, you know, we're a church. So we do a lot on Sundays. We also do a lot on Wednesdays. But uh, Mondays and Tuesdays uh, are building. We have a lot of real estate that just sits empty. We're in the middle of a community on the north side of the city. We heard about a food pantry that was looking for a place to, to be. And we just welcomed them in less than a year ago. They serve 175 families every week. They come in. It is leveraging resources and real estate that God has entrusted to us and saying, how can we be for the kingdom and for our community? And now they're doing incredible work and they're the experts, not us. And we have this amazing partnership. To me, this is a practical expression of the church being an outpost of the kingdom of God invading this world. Amen. Amen. I love it. I, I saw a, um, when, when I when I go back, well, when I go back to your two questions about would I rather sit next to somebody who, you know, worshipped the Father and had a different place, you know, I'm I'm squirming in my seat because the folks that know me know that I'm getting this wrong, you know, and it's from a long history of me coming to know the Lord and I was you know being the prodigal, 
Wow. Yeah. And immediately becoming the, the older brother. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a sin in my life. It's how I'm wired. I went right from accepting the grace of God to judging my brothers in the church and be like, how can you get this wrong? You know, yeah. that's kind of, now it does great for a podcast, you know, <laughs> talking about how to, you know, correct our values and do certain things, whatever. But in our daily life, I am struggling yes. in my redneck um, conservative church because you know, I want the kingdom to manifest in all these different areas. And, and our church will address three or four, but certain ones they will not touch yeah. because they know that folks will be out the door. Um, mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I've judged, I've judged my, you know, church members, you know, pretty harshly. So I'm, I'm having to deal with this the same. Now, if I have to do that, I'm going to make you guys do it too, because I don't want to be suffering by myself. Um, so I, I think we do need to attack our assumptions. Now, one of the things that um, you and I had talked about briefly just via text, because it's just been, it's another element that I just, I just don't think we know our church history, mm-hmm. this idea of Jubilee. And yeah. it, it came up in, right in our conversation. I was like, so I, I'm just going to have you explain this. What is Jubilee? Why did God call Israel to it? And why did, why is Israel never honored it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing um, that really has a, a thread woven throughout the entire narrative of scripture. And I do, I think it is uh, uh, very uh, relevant to this conversation of the kingdom and, and God's story. So uh, Israel was commanded every seven years to have a year of Sabbath. And this would be a year where they would let the the land restore And it would be a year of rest that was really a reflection of the Sabbath that's supposed to be kept on a weekly basis. So you have the Sabbath every week, then you have a Sabbath year every seven years, and then every seven Sabbath year segments. So every 49 years, there was supposed to be a year of Jubilee. And this this can be found in Leviticus uh, chapter 25. And God uh, details uh, the kinds of things that are supposed to happen uh, on this Jubilee year. Now, you have to keep in mind that Israel was not just a people. It was a place. The land, Haaretz, was like a central theological promise that God had made to the people. And each of the 12 tribes had their specific locations. So central and intrinsic to Jubilee was that If over the course of those 49 or 50 years, uh, you had been displaced, or maybe you've become uh, uh, overridden in in debt, maybe you've sold yourself or a family member to indentured servanthood or whatever, all these kinds of financial uh, power plays that happen, every 49 or 50 years, there would be a grand reset where you would return to the land of your ancestors, your debts would be cleared, the prisoners would be released, the sinners would be forgiven. It was a grand reset to basically say, we are going back to really what God intended in the garden. And then in, in, you know, God bringing the garden again was initially through a people, the people of Israel. And so in this land, we're going to continue uh, to, to to rest and and be restored. Um, so this is this is the grand vision that God is like. Okay, every fifty years you're resetting, 
and it never happened. We have no indication that it happened. And the and the reason why, and I'm sure your listen, listeners can piece it together, the reason why is because it was too hard. I mean, can you imagine if if every person that owed you money, you said, you don't have to pay me back anymore? Can you imagine every person that that you've bought land from because you were in a position better than them? You're like, here, you can just have it back. I mean, the 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 practical. Go ahead. And as as a an ag culture to work on the land and to make it better and then to give it to somebody else to then reap the benefit of. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's some pretty harsh implications to. That's right. That's right. And so it was it was nice in theory. And it was like, yeah, maybe someday. But but God, you can't actually mean you want me to be radically generous with the things that I have. Right. And so radically and radically unattached. Wow. Yes. And radically unattached and and radically committed to the other and to my neighbor over and against myself. And um it, it just it was, it was just too radical in in a practical sense. I'm going to stop you right there because right now, um, and I've already dealt with this and spent many an hour squirming about this. Right now, I know there are folks squirming in their seats because they're like, "Oh, you guys are talking about socialism." <laughs> and yes, well, like, sort of. So I would say is, no. This is not this is not a worldly socialism. This is the call yes. of God. That's right. This there the was no. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, I do. I, I I hear that that critique, and you know, again, like attack your assumptions. Like, don't assume that you know things mean what they mean and 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 whatnot. But you look at the early church, and it says clear as day that they pooled all their resources to make sure that no one had any need. I mean. You can't argue with that. The difference is there wasn't a, a government enforcing this. This was an internal transformation of what the spirit had done in someone's life to say, you have entrusted me with resources and I'm going to take care of, of right. my people. And the, and the practical manifestation of that now, this is why I hate socialism, is that we are giving our, we give our money or it's usually taken from us and it goes to a central entity being the government. Government, right. But here's the weird thing. It's supposed to go ascent to a central entity that is the church, right? The manifestation wow. of the church and then get dispersed. Now, because of our independence across the world, mostly in the U.S., we starve our own churches from our own tithes and offerings because, and I'm, I'm guilty of that, right? I, the, my church doesn't do the things that, that I want them to do. Mm-hmm. So then I, I tithe to individuals. I tithe to organizations like we and I'm I'm shaming myself and even saying this. We don't give our all of our tithe and offering to our local church yep. because I want to have a say in how it's manifested. That unfortunately is not. Uh, I have to sweat through this. Like that's not how God has structured it. Yeah, and we have made ourselves even more. We've drawn another line in the sand from our local church. Yeah. Myself included. I'm I'm literally fighting through this right now. Yes. And it it's supposed to go back into kingdom work. Right. Now I will say if you feel like your church is not good at it, it's a yeah, I'm gonna give you permission. It's okay to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the call is. 
Right. You should be engaged yourself. It's not, you don't write a check so somebody else can do the work. It's the same 80-20 rule where 20% of the people in the church do all the work. You know, God calls you to make it right with your neighbor, to find out what their needs are, to use their... If we're never going to obey Jubilee, and I'm pretty confident that we never will, (laughs) what does it look like practically, Alex Wickle? Right now, what's under the new covenant... Wow. What does Jubilee look like for us now? Okay, so this is where things get really beautiful. So Jesus comes on the scene, and uh, maybe maybe your listeners have heard this scene. In, in Luke chapter 4, uh, he goes into the synagogue, and he goes up to the, the front of the room, and they hand him a scroll from Isaiah. It comes from Isaiah chapter 61. And um, I actually, here, let me, uh, let me read it. This is, this is Luke chapter four. He's in Nazareth. The, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him, unrolling it. He found the place where it was written. And here's what Jesus says in front of everybody. Okay. And they all know about this year of Jubilee. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. The Greek there is euangelion, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And then here's the key phrase to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is talking about the year of Jubilee. So he reads this phrase about about this, this beautiful coming hope that the people of Israel, again, they're being oppressed by the Romans at this time, this, this future that they're longing for. And then Jesus says this, verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What is, what is Jesus doing here? He is saying that the year of Jubilee is not a time, it's a person. And he is the one that is setting the oppressed free and giving sight to the blind and declaring the year of the Lord. And so this is why Jesus, the king, we call him King Jesus. He is the one that has inaugurated this new reality in God where in him and therefore through him and therefore everyone following him is being invited into a practical manifestation of this changed reality of the Lord's favor. And so this, so practically speaking, it looks like joining Jesus in entering into the story of the year, the perpetual year of the Lord's favor. Those in the new covenant are now invited to be a part of telling the story of God setting every, resetting everything, restoring everything, rebuilding everything. Hmm. Dude. Yes, Lord. Like, please, Lord. Yeah, come please, soon. Lord. Please, yeah. Lord, come soon. So yes. here's what it means. Here's what it means practically. Um, because because we are living in the fourth turning, all enough, we've been talking about that forever, you know, in a time of crisis. Um, and we know we know the new covenant, we know what God has done, we know what God is inviting us into. You can't be dumb about this. You you have to understand that the mission field isn't just your side. You don't just get to work with people that are like you. Um 
you can't throw away the other half of the country either. Yep. Right. You can't make, you can't make this country only good for you. Um, the right wants to, wants to make it good for the people that believe like the right, you know, in, in a conservative, uh, you know, environment, the, the left wants to do it, you know, their way. Um, you know, in a perfect world, and I've, I've actually had these conversations. I'm like, what we do? They're like, I tell them all to leave to get rid of half the country. It's never going to happen. Yeah. It's, ne- it's never going to happen. And, and, and our, we've let our leadership, the, the two sides elect two buffoons in mm-hmm. Donald Trump and sleepy Joe, um, that are not really going to do the work. Why? Because no one's going to let them because the, anybody who can empower those two guys, their job is to make us fight. Mm-hmm. And yep. in the midst of kingdom work needing to be done, our job is to recognize that and go do the freaking work. And I would love to swear and do other things, but you're a pastor and I'm not going to do that in front of you. We have to go do the work and the work is on the ground. You've got to get, this is why we talk about putting your knees down, blood, sweat, and tears in the ground, getting your hands dirty and go affect people's lives. Oh, and by the way, God may call you to do it with somebody on the other side, right? For my conservative, most of uh, most of the people that are listening right now are conservatives. For, for people on the liberal side that that quote unquote hate America, they hate your guns, they hate your independence, you know, but they need Jesus. They need to be restored. And God might empower you to be the one to go do it. If you refuse, if you refuse, you suffer um, God possibly removing his hand from you and his favor from you. And that's a fate worse than death. So the, on the flip side, it's what you said earlier. It is an incredibly beautiful thing to watch that restoration happen, but then to enter into it and be a part of that restoration. Because here's the thing. It's not just going to be them and those people that get fixed. Yeah. Like, we don't have it right either. Right. And so when we jump into the game with God, he changes everybody, not just, quote unquote, those people. I want us to get this right because then the rest of our list, we don't necessarily have to work too hard at it. Yeah. Right. Yes. So on the final point, final couple points, um, what should our local church require of us? Because if this message isn't happening in a church, you need to go straight to your leadership and have a conversation. So give me a few points to, you know, to, to check my own church. Yeah. Okay. So, um, obviously it's, it's a loaded question. Um, and I will say, uh, people that distrust the church, um, have reason for that. And I, uh, I'll I'll tell you as a pastor, a local pastor on the North side of Chicago, uh, we are doing a lot of deconstruction, even of, of how we do things, why we do things, how we spend our money, because I think there have been a lot of sins, corporately as our church culture. Um, yeah. And so if any of your listeners are like, well, I just don't trust my church. Like, no, I get it. The church has to do its part too of, of examining injustices and righting these wrongs. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that if the people of the church fail to be active participants in what God is doing in a local community, change will never happen. So in, in a very real sense, the challenge for what, what should be expected of a person in the church, I would say, 
means moving from being a consumer to a contributor. And this is this is going this is flying in the face of everything that makes us American. I mean, we we are a, a nation driven by consumerism, and that has infected the church. Um, and and what does it look like to say no? I'm not going to church to get content or to get my religious fill. And you will get those things. It's okay. Like there is an exchange that happens, but this is not a place where you go to take. It's a place where you go to give. So it's. You know, uh, my my, the, I'm going to get to know the people that I'm sitting next to. I'm going to find out the burdens that people are carrying, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to share meals with them. We're going to raise our kids together. I'm going to find discover how the Spirit has gifted me and use that gift to to bless the whole community. And so, it's not just a consumer; it's it's a contributor. So, I think that that affects how you spend your time. It affects how you spend your money. It affect it, it affects how you uh, spend your emotions, right? Because this is this is emotionally draining. Uh, I'm telling you, like I sit here, like I'm in my office right now. I have people that come in and. You know, I hear about broken marriages. I got one couple that I've been walking with for months now. And every time they take a step backwards, it wrecks me emotionally. There is an emotional cost that happens. But I'll tell you what, recently they've turned it turned a corner and, and reconciliation is happening. And I get the fruit of that. I get to witness God making all things new. Yeah. And so there is a willing, there is a willingness to say, I, I, I am going to sacrifice in many different regards to be a part of what God is practically doing, transforming a community. Man. Praise God for that. Yeah. All right, folks, we have given you um, quite a bit to think about. Um, I I have a feeling that you're going to get some questions on this. Um, I think because you are so articulate and you do have, you do have the education, um, but you are disarming. I mean, you're, we, you are Wickle. <laughs> we call you uh, just for, you know, no, I don't remember the last time I've called you Alex. You've always, it's been Wickle. Yep. Um, and uh, I'm just so, you know, I'm, I'm 11 hours away, but I, I still feel like I'm a part of your church. You know, yeah. I, I, I love the people there. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I've been trying to convince you to plant a church in Asheville for, you know, probably, probably going on a decade. Um, yeah, Wickle and I, as a, as a last thought, Wickle and I did a, a men's retreat, um, which is funny because there's only three of us. Uh, and then for several years, there was two of us, but we did it for 12 years. Uh, and the only interruption that we haven't done it for the last couple because, uh, of, you know, Caroline being sick and, and us being unavailable, um, as a last point, it makes a massive difference to have friends that get it and to spend intentional time with folks that really get this language where you don't have, you're not educating each other. You're encouraging one another um, because number one, you have a history, you share a language, you have, you have the shared experience of, of being in a closet with the Lord and, and only, wanting his voice and his, his presence, you know, and there are folks out there, they want other things. They, you know, they, they might, they want a, a couple sprinkles of God's presence, but they want a whole lot of other things. Yeah. And I'm going to encourage you, you got to find people, whether it's a person in a pastoral role or somebody, you know, somebody else, you got to find some people that really get it. And then you got to soak up some time with them. It can't, it doesn't have to be every day, 
you know, Wickle and I, we haven't seen each other, you know, face to face for probably a few years at this point, maybe two yeah. and a half years. Yeah. Um, but when we do connect, it is like, you know, it's, it's like a salve to a wound, yeah. you know, energy for my soul for somebody to, you know, to be able to walk, watch somebody who really gets it, who understands what investment looks like, you know, you are the pastor that empowers your people to do their own work. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you for that. You know, like you're not sucking people in to do your ideas. Mm-hmm. You are empowering them to do their ideas and their ideas come from the closet where God am, speaks to them. Yeah. And so I want that for all of you and, um, you know, keep the standard high because there are folks out there that get it. Go find them. Um, I think it's going to change the game of investment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to, it's, we're going to see the kingdom manifest in ways that are going to, it's really going to change people's lives. This is the time to do it. I mean, there's so much heartache, but the sad things are going to come untrue and hopefully in front of us. Amen. 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 Dude, thank you for your time, brother. I love you. Love you. It was great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Friends, you've been listening to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. We very much appreciate you taking the time to join us. Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you live out your best financial story.